Exodus chapter number two, if you found it and you're able to, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. We'll start in verse number one. We're going to read the first ten verses of Exodus chapter number two. Exodus two, verse number one. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. What a story. We're going to give some of the background as to why some of these statements are made here. Like when she saw that he was a goodly child, hid him for three months. And uh, we'll give some of that background as we look at it. But I want to preach for a little while because we know many of us know about Moses how he was a great leader and brought God used him to bring the nation of Israel out of bondage. And I want to preach for a little while this morning on this subject matter on raising God's leader. And uh, this mother who poured so much into her son in such a short period of time. And uh, maybe some things that can be applied to our hearts and lives. Let's pray and then you can be seated. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for this introduction in Exodus chapter number 2 to the parents of Moses, but specifically to his mother. And Lord, how you used her to make a difference in this great leader that we read about throughout Scripture. And so, Lord, as we look at her life and some things about his childhood, Lord, I do pray that you would help us to be able to apply them to our hearts and lives. Lord, I thank you for my mother. And Lord, I thank you for the impact that she is continuing to have upon my life. Lord, thank you for the mothers that are here and their lives that they're giving to their children. And Lord, just use each and every young person for your honor and glory. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was sent this thing I'm going to read. I was sent it this week. It was in the mid-50s when my parents sold the potato farm in northern Maine, and they, with my sister Ruth and me in tow, moved to southern Maine. The five other siblings were already in college or working. Ruth would be in the fifth grade, 
and I would be in third grade. We became involved in the West Harpswell Baptist Church. We learned of BYF, which is Baptist Youth Fellowship, and Ruth was eager to attend on Sunday evening. When she returned home after her first time, she reported that there was also a junior BYF group that met on Sunday night, <clears throat> or juniors that met. My mother asked if I would like to attend, and I eagerly said yes. Ruth said that at the end of each meeting, for each group, a prayer circle was held, and each one said a prayer that, dam- that dampened my enthusiasm right away. Mama, I lamented, I can't go. I don't know how to pray. She responded by suggesting that she could write a prayer for me. I could learn it and share it at the prayer circle. That seemed like a good idea for me. I reminded her every Sunday afternoon to write a prayer for me. She did, and I took some focus time to memorize, and it was always with confidence that I had a prayer to share. Some weeks later, I realized during the meeting that I had forgotten to ask my mother to write a prayer for me to learn. Immediately, I panicked. I did not have a prayer to say. Then I realized what I could do. Using my mother's prayers as a model, I composed one in my head and learned it. I had a prayer in the prayer circle, and it worked out just fine. When I got home, I told my mom how we had forgotten the prayer, but I made one up in my head and said my very own first prayer. She said that was a good thing, and now I could pray on my own. Now in the seventh decade of life, I cannot imagine what my life would be like without prayer. During the years, I learned much more about prayer, which provided me with a deeper and more intimate knowledge of God. How do others learn to pray? Does everyone have a mother who teaches them? I think not. I presume that most tumble into the life of prayer through various methods and circumstances. I say prayers of gratitude continuously through my day, but as of this writing, I am grateful for a mother who taught me to pray. That Ruth that is mentioned is my mother that brought her younger sister and she was taught to pray. As we look throughout the scriptures, we're reminded over and over about the life that mothers have poured into their children to be able to raise them in the understanding of the Word of God. We read here in Exodus chapter number 2, about one of the greatest leaders that are mentioned in the Bible of a man named Moses. We're introduced to his mother. His mother's name is Jochebed. And we're given that over in Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 20. But can you imagine having the, the job of raising Moses? Now, she probably didn't know at this moment that he was going to be one of the greatest leaders to ever come through history that led an entire nation, listen, without the printed page, 
without Facebook, without the internet, without a microphone system, was able to be one of the greatest leaders to be able to unite millions of people and at least get them all walking the same direction. And God were to use him. God would use him as a deliverer. God would use him as a leader, bring an entire nation. And as I look down through this passage, I've been intrigued with her life. And on a Tuesday night, sometime you'll hear a devotion a little bit more about Jochebed as we go through uh, discovering the disciples of God as we've started on Tuesday nights for online devotion. But I thought about some things that we could apply to our hearts and lives, and specifically, mothers that are here today, you may be able to say that, listen, this is, that's, a, that's a description of the life that I've had to be able to pour into my children. Or you may have to look back and say, Here's the failures of my life as I've tried to raise my children. But can I remind us of this, that you are alive and well today. And so there is always an opportunity by God's grace to be able to get some things right. You may say, well, I'm not a mother, but I'm praying to be a mother one day. Then learn all that you can before that day comes. Get around some other mothers. There's some that, listen, you may be neglecting your children. You may be saying, hey, I need to spend more time with them. Then start today. Don't wait for years to go by and then live out the the older years of your life with the regrets of what you did not do. And we learn a few things about the characteristics of Moses' mother, but I looked at it this way. There is no mother that is seated here today that truly knows the full potential of the child that they are raising. How many here have a child that uh, they've just surprised you in a good way? I guess some just expected that from their children all the time. We always say, I knew it was in them. I knew they were good. Now let's think about Moses for just a few moments. Do you understand that, that, that Jochebed, Moses' mother, had a very limited time to be able to pour into him some things that we'll see made a difference in his life? He ended up, listen, defending some of his brethren and actually ended up killing a man, went away for 40 years into the wilderness. After that 40 years, God brings him back. He's now the leader of the nation of Israel, and now his own brother and sister are coming alongside of him and are now going along, and he's leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Did Moses have his failures? He sure did. Did his parents have their failures? He sure did. Now, to set the context of Scripture as we look at this, I want us to see, first of all, and we'll look at the context, but some things that Moses' mother did for him, number one, is provided protection from a society that would destroy him. You see, the the culture and the society that Moses' parents were living in at that time, a decree had been sent down 
from Pharaoh that, listen, every baby boy that was born was to be thrown in the Nile River because the nation of Israel was becoming too populated. And so they were uh, worried in Exodus chapter number one that the children of Israel were going to be more in number. And then if Egypt was ever attacked, that Israel could actually side with the enemies and be able to overthrow the nation of Egypt. And they said, we'll do this. We'll kill the babies. And I thought, am I reading Exodus two or USA Today? So Moses' family was living in a society where it was selective, and listen, not just abortion up to birth, but they would provide it after birth by walking over and throwing the baby boy in the Nile River. So now you understand you have a lady who is expecting a child. They didn't have the sonograms back then. They didn't have all the fancy stuff we had. They had to wait and be surprised. And can you imagine, listen, every mother that's here understands the joy when their baby is born. But can you imagine the joy and also the agony at that moment when she gives birth and they say, it's a boy. Because you see, the law has been put down that that boy is supposed to be thrown in the Nile River. Now, something takes place here. There's a lot of speculation about what it is that perhaps she just gave birth at home by herself and did not call the midwives in there because the midwives were given the command to get rid of the baby boys. And so there were spies all over the place that were infiltrating, making sure that those baby boys were actually thrown in the river. And so giving birth to a baby boy in private, maybe without the midwives, without the nurses, without the doctors around, but then seeing that baby boy. Now, the Bible says this, that she saw that he was a goodly child, Now, that doesn't mean that there was anything miraculous about Moses. It doesn't mean that he came out talking to his mother, that he already understood Hebrew and could speak it fluently. Okay, it's not speaking of that. If you look at that word goodly, it's the same way that every mother thinks about their child. They're the cutest thing I've ever seen in the world. And so he was cute and he was adorable, okay? And that's what is being said. He was a goodly child. He wasn't comely. He wasn't like, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay? He wasn't, he wasn't like that. But something connected there. And she said, there is something about this boy. And she hid him. Can you imagine being able to hide a newborn for three months? To make sure, listen, you don't know if your neighbor is a spy for the government in the Egyptian realm. And even though they're, they're a Hebrew and an Israelite, that they're going to turn him in and say, hey, she gave birth to a boy. If I can't have my boy, she can't have her boy. And you never know what was taking place. So she hides the baby and gets up to about three months and she says, I can't hide him anymore. 
But here's a mother that saw something in her baby and was willing to protect him from a society that was willing to destroy him. So what did she do? She made a little ark out of bulrushes and pitched it inside and out so that it was waterproof and then put Moses inside there. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to catch myself instead of saying Noah in the ark, okay? It's Moses in the ark, okay? In this this ark of bulrushes that's there and then takes him down Imagine that day that Jochebed walks down by the river and takes this this little ark with her. I, I, I picture it as a completely enclosed bassinet there and takes that and puts it into the Nile River amongst the bulrushes. And then tells Miriam, the older sister, and I wrote this down. I said it was the first babysitter, okay, watching over the older siblings, is here's Miriam that's standing off to the side just to be able to see what they would do to the baby. And of all people, Pharaoh's daughter, whose dad made the decree, throw every one of those babies throw every one of those boys. We don't need them populating. We don't need more. And they're getting too many. The, 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 the daughter of the man who made the degree, decree comes walking down beside the river. The maids are walking. They notice this little ark in the bulrushes. Pulls it out. They open it up. And the same thing that Moses' mother saw, a goodly child, is the same thing that Pharaoh's daughter saw. And something about this baby. And now Miriam comes out the boldness of an older sister. Hey, listen, I got older sisters. They would have said, take him. <laughs> it would have been okay, take him. But here comes Miriam. And, and boy, God knits the heart of Pharaoh's daughter and Moses together. And Miriam says, you want me to get a Hebrew lady to be able to nurse and take care of him? Goes back and gets the baby's mom. Jochebed comes, takes, and she gets paid to take care of her own son under the protection of Pharaoh and his household and the entire government raising his child. You say, how did that all take place? What a miracle. No, I'll tell you what it was. It was a mother who was willing to protect her child from a society that would destroy him. Now bring it over to 20 and 23. I believe all around us, listen, there is an active warfare against the young minds of those that we're trying to raise. They are coming after them, listen, on the phones, on the internet, on the television, in the public schools, trying to teach, and they're trying to destroy the minds of our young people and turn them against God. Now, it's not just a matter of the minds, but may I say this, the millions that have passed away because they are literally destroying lives before they even have an opportunity to take their first breath. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, I am pro-life. We had the walk for life yesterday for the two pregnancy centers, and we were down in Bedford, had a tremendous turnout, wonderful, thankful for everything that was done, money that was raised to be able to help save lives, literally save lives. My wife was able to sit down with a young lady just about two weeks ago, and she was in that decision point of life. Not only did she choose life, but she chose eternal life also. And she was able to lead her to the Lord here just a couple weeks ago, be able to share the gospel with her. 
We live in a society. Listen, the Bible tells us that these days would come over in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 when it's described in some of the end times. It actually talks about that people will be without natural affection. You see, I don't understand how people can, can look at a child opposite of what Jochebed looked at, his, her baby, and said, I don't care. Just get rid of them. I don't want anything to do with them. Listen, we need some mothers who will have something in their heart that are willing to be able to protect their youngins. Listen, it's a natural instinct, not just in humans, but may I also say in the, hum- in the animal world. You try getting between a, a black bear and her cubs. There's a natural instinct that is there to be able to protect those children. But in the human realm, because of the sin nature, we're losing that today. Some mothers who will protect their young ones. But then can I also say this, that there was a provision of faith and also the physical that would sustain him through the years ahead. You say, what do you mean? I believe in these few short years, probably, that Jochebed was raising Moses. I believe she poured a faith into him that he understood who he was. It's a faith that would carry him through. Listen, at 40 years of age, we won't turn to all the passages of Scripture today, but at 40 years of age, listen, the Bible says over in the book of Acts that he went to inquire about his brethren. In Acts chapter 7, verse number 23. Do you understand at 40 years of age, he had never forgotten who he was, what he was taught, and where he came from. At 40 years of age, he said, I'm checking on my brethren. They're the ones that are in slavery. They're the ones that are working and that are laboring. Listen, she had just a few short period of times to be able to invest in him, but something was invested that he knew who he was. And listen, 40 years after that, 80 years total, when he's 80 years of age, he knew the voice of the Lord too. And I wonder this, I wonder, listen, moms, yeah, I'm preaching to moms and wannabes. And ladies, listen, you say, I don't have any children, I'll never have any children, then get some youngins and start pouring into them. There's a junior church, there's a Sunday school, listen, get pouring into them. But I wonder this, I wonder, are you pouring into the next generation a faith that will sustain them for the years ahead? You say, oh, I'm, I'm protecting my baby from this world, but they don't know anything about God. It's not enough just to protect them and put clothes on their back and shoes on their feet. But listen, hey, I've already started. No, you don't want to hear it. When I'm holding baby Timothy back here, it doesn't help him with his crying or anything like that. But I'm already singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Started with Levi, Lincoln, Lennon. Hey, listen, they'll sit there, and as long as I can hold them and they're not screaming, hey, I'm going to try to start singing to them, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. So I want them to know that. I was asked by Bree over here when they were 
getting ready to announce that they were expecting. She was sitting downstairs. She said, Pastor, she said, what do you prefer to be called? Here's how she said it. Papa or pastor? It depends on who's doing the calling. (laughs) Is that not what I said? I said, listen, I said, I'm okay. We ought to pour into this next generation, not just to put clothes on their back. But why not pour a faith into them that is going to sustain them for the years to come? Because at some point, they're going to be raising children. And society is going to want to go after those children. And I'm praying they have a faith to be able to sustain them. But then I want to share this with you too. Not only a protection from a society and a provision of a faith. But can I say this? And and boy, I, I got hung up on this one. A purpose of the raisin to be delivered to the king's work. And I thought about what Pharaoh was desiring to have bringing his grandson. The Bible says that Moses became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And can you imagine this? You imagine Jochebed every time she'd get up in the middle of the night, every time she'd wake up in the morning, she's taking care of that little boy. Everything she was doing was preparing for the king's service. Everything pouring into him because one day he's going to be walking the halls of the kingdom of Pharaoh's house and he's going to be running around there and he's royalty and he's going to be serving Pharaoh. He's going to be serving the king. But then I thought, you understand what we're supposed to be doing as parents? Do you understand that children have been given to us, listen, not for us to live our life through them. Well, I just want them to accomplish things that I never was able to, so we push them and push them and push them. Hey, listen, I was never a professional baseball player, but it became very clear that my son wasn't going to be either. (laughs) And I wouldn't be able to live my life through him, but I will say this. I believe we need to pour everything we can into them for the day for them to be able to step into the king's service. Not for Pharaoh, Listen, I didn't raise my kids to go to Washington, D.C. If that's what God had for him to be the president of the United States, then so be it. Go do it. But wherever they're at, they've been raised to do the king's work. Do you understand the responsibility that we have as parents? We ought to understand that the children that we have are in heritage of the Lord. In other words, they have been given to us and handed down from God Almighty. We've been entrusted with them. Why? To be able to raise them, to be able to serve the Lord. That's our job. That's our responsibility. Oh, no, they're just mine. We've had conversations over and over. I've met every type of parent that's out there, okay? And, uh, well, I'm more of a strict parent. You ought to be. I'm more of a free-range parent, You mean you put them out in the backyard and let them peck at the ticks in the back? I mean, that's what free range is, okay? I'm more of a free range parent. I just let them do that. I just just don't have any rules or regulations or anything. And one lady told me this one time. She said, I knew my daughter was going to be doing immoral things anyway. So by the time she was 16, I made sure she was on birth control. And I said, well, I said, there is a standard to be able to follow. And I said, that standard's the word of God. 
And I said, I'm not so much of a free-range parent as I am raising them according to biblical principles, and I'm supposed to be preparing the next generation for when they step into the service of the Lord. And do you understand with Jochebed that she was raising that boy on behalf of the king's household? And there came a day all right, you're out of my household. Now go serve the king. Family. And I thought, what if, what if every one of us as parents were looking at our children as, listen, you've got 18 years, sometimes 25, 30, I understand. You've got 18 years to pour as much as you can into them for them to step out and for them to be ready to serve the Lord. That's what Jochebed was facing. You say, well, that must have been depressing on her. No. Can I say this? I don't believe it was depressing because you know what the alternative was? Death. Because if Pharaoh's daughter had not taken her boy in, that boy would have been eaten by the alligators or crocodiles, who, I mean, whoever, I mean, in the Nile River. That's what that boy would have had to deal with. And every day she got to pour into him. And then imagine the day, and I, I don't know how God revealed it to her. I don't think she was alive when Moses came back. Never got to see it. Never got to see her boy come back. Be able to step up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And watch him go back over and over and over. But you know something? There was an older brother that got to stand there and be able to see it, be able to hear it. There was an older sister. And I wonder how many times that Miriam, I bet she reminded Moses too. I guarantee it. Reminded him. Hey, listen, you wouldn't be the leader of Israel if I hadn't watched over you. You wouldn't be the leader of Israel if I hadn't gone and got mama be able to take care of you you wouldn't be the leader of Israel I guarantee she held it over his head the whole time you say is that in the Bible that's between the lines you're going to read down through there but I had two older sisters and I guarantee that's how it happened you got to get into the deep things of the word of God to be able to understand but I want you to think about it do you understand who Jochebed raised for that little period of time raising God's leader that God would come to and say, Moses, you're the man. And it's time for you to go back and lead the nation of Israel out of captivity. And God used a mama to be able to pour into him. Now, how many mamas have ever felt just so frustrated? You don't have to put your hand up because every mother's hand ought to go up. You feel frustrated. You feel like pulling the rest of your hair out. And you don't because you just dyed it and you don't want to waste the money. <laughs> you go through all of these things, all these emotions, and they're all real. Listen, imagine the stress for the months while Jochebed is trying to hide Moses because it's going to cost him his life. But can I remind you today, you have no idea the leader 
that you are raising for God? No idea. Why don't you pray over them? Why don't you love on them? Why don't you pour everything you can into them? Pastor, is there not going to be heartaches? No, there's going to be heartaches. Is there going to be rough days? There'll be rough days. There'll be days you say, I wish I'd never had kids. But then you get grandkids. That's what they say. Listen, there's going to be times. There's going to be days. But imagine the reunion when Jochebed got to meet Moses after he led the nation of Israel out and got to see him. I wonder if he said, thank you, Mom, for raising me up, preparing me for the king's service. I want to encourage you. It might have been a while since you've prayed for your kids. It might have been a while since maybe you've had the comfort of knowing that they're a a heritage of the Lord, that God's entrusted you with them. God must think an awful lot about you to let you invest in the next generation. I see the ladies around our church that are investing in the next generation. You know something? God must think something about you. You've got something to offer. Junior church, Sunday school, Patch the Pirate Club, being a part of it. God's got something for you. And I'm saying, Lord, would you help us as we raise God's leaders? Who is the next generation of God's leaders anyway, except for the kids that are running around the church here? You're like, well, it's awfully loud downstairs. What's the alternative? Church is dying off everywhere today because there's no younger generation coming behind them. Yeah, I see them downstairs when the workers come out and they're pulling their hair out because they've had 35 kids back there in junior church. Especially on Easter when you give them their Easter basket before they come. <laughs> I want to encourage you. Moms, ladies, you're raising God's leaders. Be faithful to it. Husbands, understand the task. Help them, love them, raise them up. I'll tell you the most important thing, you can get them the best education. You can have the up-to-date clothing. You can have the newest game system. You can have all of that. But if you haven't told them about Jesus, you're missing it. You're missing it. And you may be here today and you say, well, I can't tell them about some, someone I don't know. And you may not even know Jesus. Listen, it'd be a wonderful day for you to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You say, well, I've already, I've already missed it. My kids are already gone. I can't do anything about them. Then listen, come alongside of another mother and be able to love on them, be an example to them. Say, hey, this is where I messed up. Don't do the same thing. Love on them. Tell them about Jesus.